Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this fine Monday evening? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. Right. Just stay cool and uh, planning when I can mow my lawn again and it's not raining out. <laughs> I know, right? My, my backyard is starting to turn into the Amazon. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, there is a ton to talk about today, and of course, we're going to start with Kevin Stone's favorite topic, Cam Newton, because the day now the day starts with Bill Belichick going on the Greg Hill radio program this morning on EEI, talking about <clears throat> that Cam's the guy, but it's a competition. So in essence, he basically left you wondering, okay, is Cam really the guy or is Cam in the driver's seat? So the take the biggest takeaway I had from that was Cam's the guy, but it, they're competing for it. But then the real bombshell comes a couple of hours after that appearance when uh, it it came to, to light that Cam Newton left the state for some kind of a medical treatment. The Patriots okayed it. It turns out that he shouldn't have left. He didn't have permission to leave. And because of his vaccination status, he now has to sit out five days, which means he can't practice until Thursday. So let's just cut to the chase here, okay? Do you really believe that the Patriots – didn't know what was going on with this, that they okayed it not knowing the process? Or do you think that's a load of bull? They knew the process, but they were like, whatever, go do what you got to do and come back, and we'll deal with it because, quite frankly, you might not be the guy anyway. I mean, where do you fall on this? Because there's been a lot of speculation that maybe the Patriots allowed him to leave on purpose. I guess um, I don't think the Patriots don't know much when it comes to any of their players especially their quarterback. So I, it's, I have a hard time believing they didn't know sort of exactly what was going on. This t seems to me like a judgment thing that Cam somehow screwed up. I don't know the exact in and outs of the situation, but for him to be out any amount of time like this, this close to the season, it's got to make me, if I'm them, be like, you know, is this, is this going to happen during the season? I mean, it's, it yeah. practically is. Yeah. So it, I mean, let's face it. He's not vaccinated. That's abundantly obvious. It's, it's so if he's not vaccinated, then if you're the Patriots, you have to think that this is something that could come back to haunt us during the regular season, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, if you're Belichick and you've seen this today. Now, <clears throat> the strange thing is during his Zoom call this morning, he was in a great mood. So <laughs> I don't know if he knew or not, but – Probably. Look, him, he probably did. Maybe, maybe, let's well, face it, maybe he's a Mac guy and he knew and that's why he was happy. Hey, you never know. No, look, if you're him at this point, I, I don't want to turn this into a Vax conversation, but how could you rely on Cam if you know this is going to happen again? You knew it happened last year. It happened now in August. Um, he's now out for what might be the most important week of preseason for them as a team. Um, I think it's a huge development. And again, right now, do I think he's the quarterback? Yes. But at this point, if you're the staff, you got to be looking at him sideways. Like, how can you trust him? Yeah, and, and look, this is a slippery slope if you're the Patriots because it's mm -hmm. not like Kraft and Belichick can call him in when he is clear and say, listen, you got to go get vaccinated. It, it's it's a personal choice, and we, all, and we don't need to go there. We're not going to get into the vaccine and whether you should be vaccinated or not vaccinated, yeah. but I think we're all well aware that obviously the vaccine's been politicized in this country, and there are strong feelings on both sides of that aisle. 
And so the Patriots are, are caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place here because on the one hand, you're relying on him and you're thinking he's going to be your starting quarterback. But on the other hand, he may end up screwing you over at some point during the season because even though he's probably had COVID before, he's developed, quote unquote, the antibodies. I mean, that doesn't mean anything really. He could test positive again. People have gotten it multiple times. So I, I this puts them in a tough spot. Now, we don't obviously know Mac Jones's vaccination status, but if, let's say, hypothetically, he is vaccinated, this this might give him an advantage in this in this quarterback competition that, for whatever reason, it's been a month since we started here, and they're still not calling it a quarterback competition. I'm not sure why. But if that is the case, he may end up having a leg up in this quarterback competition. He might simply have the advantage. See, Newton had the advantage because he was experienced. Mac may end up having the advantage because he's vaccinated. So it's a weird situation. I will say this. I have a hard time believing that the Patriots didn't know the policy. And, and I know that the Patriots and, and, and the national media in particular loves to talk about conspiracy theories with the Patriots. That's been floated around that they let him go on this thing and they approved it just because they want him, wanted him to basically screw himself over so he wouldn't be the guy. That's a load of crap. I don't buy that one bit. Even I wouldn't say that. Right, and, and you said some idiotic things about Cam Newton. So, I, I, I mean, the truth is, it's, it's not – I don't think it has anything to do with the Patriots. I think the bottom line is it's all about Newton, and Newton's obviously not vaccinated. And I think Kevin brings up a great point. I, this is something that could rear its ugly head again during the season, and if it does, what do you do then? I mean, and, and look – you. You have to wonder if you can even trust this guy to be your backup right now. Even if you decide, you know what, we're going with Mac. You have to wonder if this guy can even be your backup right now. Now, let me ask you guys this. Do you think that Mac Jones gained any kind of advantage today? Do you think he gains an advantage the rest of this week with Newton being out in terms of this competition that they're not calling? Well, just from uh, reading some of the reports, he got a ton of reps today, and I think that can only help him. You know, it helps his development. It helps everything. Look, this is a rookie move by Newton to be out like that. It's a rookie move. You expect a rookie like Mac Jones to be the one to be making these kinds of mistakes, and that's what it is. It's a mistake, you know. So um, I, th- I think I think Mac benefits from this for sure. The more the more reps he gets, he got like, like double the amount of reps he usually gets. And so I just think I, – I, I, th- I think uh, – you know, that Cam did himself no favors with this, obviously. I think it helped Mac, again, off the field more than it does on it. Um, just in terms of, you know, we've always heard that dependability line. You know, dependability is the best availability. If you can't trust Cam, then, you know, Mac's the next, the next guy in line. So, uh, again, we weren't there today, so we didn't see it. But by all accounts, he wasn't great. Uh, he was okay. But uh, I think Wednesday, Thursday is what, you know, we really need to watch this week when he takes probably every rep against the Giants uh, or every meaningful rep. So, uh, yeah, again, it's just another it's another case of Cam kind of helping out Mac without really even knowing it. Well, I mean, sure he's aware that his faux pas are going to help Mac Jones. But, yeah. yeah, I agree. Again, I think what it comes down to is do the Patriots have the cojones to go with him? Do, does Belichick have the nuts to say he's the guy? And that's really what this is going to come down to, because at the end of the day, 
if you're the Patriots, again, you hit the nail on the head, Kevin. <laughs> you know, you, your your best ability is availability. And if Cam Newton is is a guy that could potentially miss time during the regular season because of a failed COVID test, and you can't count on him, then you may not have a choice but to go with Mac Jones. And I think, you know, Mac Jones is, is we have to keep one thing in mind. As, imp as impressive as he's been at times, he's still a young quarterback. He's still a rookie. And so he's going to show that he's still a rookie at certain times in practice and, and even in games. We're going to see those moments when he looks his age and, and his lack of experience will come through. But I, I definitely 100% think that today, tomorrow, and Wednesday in particular are really going to help Mac Jones. Now, again, is it going to help him enough that he all of a sudden becomes QB1? It's too early. I still think it's too early to tell, even though we're going into yeah. the final preseason game of, of camp. But – I think he's going to at least put himself in a position now where they as a staff are going to get a better idea as to whether or not he can be the guy. It's not so much about what Mac does as much as it's what he does, but also what he looks like. Because when they're sitting down and meeting after practice uh, as an offensive staff and as a, and as a staff as a whole, that's something that's going to come up. It's going to be like, all right, does he look like a guy? Forget about how many passes he completed and how many touchdowns he threw, how many picks he threw. Do we believe? Based on what he did today, his management of the huddle, his management of the offense, his ability to relay information and, and to communicate. Do we think that those things are starter level skills? Do we think that he can do those things at a starter level? If we believe that, then yeah, he could be the guy. But if they don't believe that, then obviously Cam still has a chance. And look, Cam's coming back Thursday. I, I don't think it's the end of the world that he's missing three practices. But I think the bigger issue here, and we've touched on it, is his potential availability during the regular season could be an issue for this football team. Now, obviously, we talked about this on Thursday night in the other Patriots postgame show. Patriots dominate the Philadelphia Eagles 35-0 in a cakewalk. One of the bigger stories to come out of that game, in my opinion, though, was the Nikhil Harry injury. Now, of course, we talked about Harry last week. Actually, we've talked about Harry the last couple of weeks. But we talked about Harry last week and how he's looked good at practice and how he might finally be starting to come around, but it hasn't necessarily translated in games. Then he goes and he hurts his shoulder on a play where I think we all agree he should have made the catch. Uh, but what does this mean for Nikhil Harry now? He's hurt. He's obviously out this week. It appears he's going to be out four to six weeks. What does this mean for him? And what do you do if you're the Patriots? I mean, do, do you do you put him on, on short-term IR and try to get him back in six weeks? Do you, do you cut him, dare I say? Well, how do you handle this if you're the Patriots? Because this is now another layer that you need to deal with when it comes to Nikhil Harry. Yeah, I'm not sure what exactly to do with him. I, um, he's just – I'm really stretching to think, you know, what he he can eventually bring to this team, if anything. It's after everything, after the first-round draft pick, after everything, he, he just has never really in a game – you know, showed what he has showed at times in practice and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know. I think he, uh, part of me wants to just cut him, but, uh, but this wide receiver core, he might, he might make a difference at some point. I just, I, I, I'm almost just sort of done, you know, with hopes for him. I just don't see what, what his, his, uh, his best availability is. Yeah, yeah so, we have uh, Thomas Rogers checks in. Kevin, do you think Bill will use Cam as a trick player down the line? Well, Why the hell are you getting those questions? Is it our first personalized question ever? Uh, yeah, I do, actually, at some point. Uh, I think we've talked about it a bunch of times here. 
I hate the idea, but I think it's actually very much in play. Um, but to go back to your original question, uh, you can't cut him, I don't think. Um, if they didn't trade him when he requested it, I sure as hell don't think they're going to cut him. Um, they're not going to let him off the hook that easily. Uh, I think you just kind of you put him on you know, short-term IR, like you said, and you hope you get something out of him still, I think. Uh, I just don't think you cut him you know, and not – and not at least try to see it through a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it depends on ultimately what the prognosis is and and when yeah. he can come back. I mean, I, I, again, he's a even before the injury, right? I think we all agree he's a tough case. It's hard to figure out what to do with him because you got to remember he's only going into his third season. He was a first round pick. The talent is there, but you also see some of his deficiencies, his inability to stack and separate, his inability to make big plays. If he's going to make big plays, it's going to be deep in the plus territory. So he, he's a guy that you're going to have to to carve out a role for. He's not going to be what they thought he was going to be. And so I think it's a situation where you put him on short-term IR, you let him heal, and then when he's ready to come back, you gotta you got to find a place for him. I mean – I think when you look at the composition of this receiving core right now, obviously Aguilar, uh, Bourne, uh, Olszewski, Myers are your definites. I think those are your four. And then now he's competing. They're going to carry five receivers. So he's competing for that fifth receiver spot. And, I mean, I don't know. I, has Christian Wilkerson, for example, or Isaiah Zuber, have these guys done enough? Devin Ross, have they done enough to warrant – Keeping over him? I don't think so. I mean, I know Wilkerson's been a little bit of a camp darling, but I'm not sure he's done enough to keep over him. So I think in the end, he's going to end up on short-term IR, and they're going to hold on to him. Um, what happens to him beyond that remains to be seen. Um, I thought it was interesting yesterday when the assistant coaches spoke. There was, a, there was a couple of tidbits that came out of that. One, it's not as contentious as it appears with Stephon Gilmore. He seems to be buying in. It'll be interesting to see if they – if they sit down with him and try to extend him and beef up that contract. And then I thought it was interesting when Ivan Fierce talked about the fact that Ramondre Stevenson, the rookie running back from Oklahoma, actually failed his conditioning test. And they had they had some trust issues with him early. And that's the thing with the Patriots. Patriots tend to have – the Patriots as an organization tend to have trust issues with younger players. But I thought those, those comments were pretty interesting. What do you guys think of that? So real quick, I just want to go back to Gilmore. You brought it up. Look, it's nice that he's in the meeting rooms and he's coaching up, you know, the younger guys and all that. But at some point, they need to make a decision on him because I think we're getting close to the point where he's going to be sitting out half the season. You know, I think people have just kind of assumed he might be back, but we're getting down to, you know, a, a pretty critical time. At least I think so. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, the assistant, um, Pellegrino, the quarterback's coach, uh, and Belichick both talked him up. You know, really, really talk to him up, uh, particularly what he does in the meeting rooms. And and I just don't know if that matters right now. Like, you need him on the field. Yeah, I agree with that. Gilmore is, let's say, I mean, he's the best player on the team, right? I mean, yeah. like, yeah, you know, I can't – he does so much. And with him, this defense can be truly nasty. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, defense, it's a, it's without Without him, it's still yeah. a pretty good defense, but it's not like this. You know what right. I mean? Um, and on the other stuff, I, I, I was surprised with Stevenson was a uh, failed conditioning test. That was a bit of a shot. It just didn't, he didn't seem like 
you know, I don't know. Just uh, that was strange. But, but yeah, I would. You know, I know this is not always Belichick's way, but I would. I'd pay Gilmore and get him on the field, man. I think he's too good yeah. not to. Yeah, I think what it's going to come down to is years, really. I think they've got the cap room to to give him more money this year, kind of like what what the Dolphins did with Xavier Howard. It's what they did with Gilmore last summer. They certainly have the, the cap room to give him more money. What it's going to come down to is how do you structure the contract? What do you want to do for years? Um, I, do you do another year with an option? Do you do you keep this year and add another year, and then that's it? It ends up becoming a two-year deal, and you give him more money. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. He's obviously doing the right things. He's in the building. He's rehabbing. He's he's involved in meetings. He's helping coach the younger guys. All things that you want to see out of your veterans. But I do think ultimately it's still going to come down to money, and they're going to have to give him more money to get him on the field. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that in the next week or two because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, regular season kicks off two weeks from Sunday. So you don't really have a lot of time to get this done. So obviously the hope is that it gets done sooner than later. You are listening to the New England Football Show. I'm John Serenitas. And as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Feel free to join the conversation. We are live on Facebook and Twitter. Jump in the chat, ask your questions, give your opinions, tell us we suck, uh, tell me I look like Fred Flintstone, um, you know, whatever whatever you want to you want to throw at us. We're, we're, listen, you know what? We're, we're big boys. We're thick-skinned. We can handle it. So join the conversation uh, and, and join the chat here and, and share your thoughts with us. All right, let's uh, shift gears here now and talk a little bit about Boston College. BC had their media day today, and our Kevin Stone was there covering Boston College media day. So, Stone, I'm going to defer to you. Uh, what were your thoughts on media day in terms of, of what Coach Halfley said, Phil Jakovic? Uh, you spoke to, to the assistants. Uh, you, you spoke to uh, Zay Flowers. What, what was, what was the, the conversation like there, and what, what was some of the talk in terms of the 2021 Eagles? Yeah, so I think first and foremost – you know, you can probably relate to this easier than anybody. They're tired of hitting, you know, each other. Uh, so that Colgate game can't come fast enough. Uh, yeah. but, but look, they it's, – It's that time of – and not to cut yeah. you off, but no, it's yeah. that time of camp now. Once yeah. you get three weeks into it, it's old hat now. Now you're ready to move on and start yeah. – the coaches want to move on and start game planning and the players want to play somebody. Yeah, so no, you're completely right. But a few different things. So Tom Lukabu, the defensive coordinator, I asked him, you know, look, all the hype around the offense is well warranted, but, you know, how annoyed is the defense not getting any talk whatsoever? And he's not going to give you bulletin board material, but he had no problem admitting it's irking guys. Um, so they're they're using it to their advantage a little bit. Um, I, I'm almost more curious to see what the defense looks like right off the bat than the offense. But uh, offensively, Frank Signetti, he is so excited just to have uh, not only Zay and Kobe on the field together, I asked him about Trey Barry. His eyes have lit up. Uh, he can't wait to get him the ball. So everything offensively that we've been talking about, they can't wait to kind of show uh, on the field against the real team as well. Uh, and just the vibe overall, it's what it's been pretty much all preseason. It's The expectations are there. They know it. Uh, they're not reading their own press clippings, but um, they're ready to go. And, again, it's – Wait a minute. They're not reading their own press clippings. But the but the defensive players are pissed that the offensive players are getting all the attention. So more so, yeah, no, it's not. That's not bad. I knew. Um, no, so offensively, I'm just wondering. Uh, it's, no, it's just because here's the thing, right? Anytime anybody tells you that they're not hearing the noise or reading things, 
They are. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Especially of course. in this day and age, right? If this were 20 years ago, I'd believe that. But I think in this yeah. day and age, you guys know how it is. You pick up your phone. It's out there. Everything's out there now. No, you're right. And uh, I meant more so offensively. Um, yeah. They are not reading their, you know, the hype around them. Um, and defensively, look, it's hard. It's hard not to hear the non-noise, you know, for them. So, uh, no, like I said, it's the expectations are there. They know it. Um, everybody on campus is is all ready to go. And now it's just a matter of seeing them, you know, a week from Saturday against Colgate. And uh, I know we've been kind of overly positive, but until we have reason not to be, it, it's hard not to like what, what they're saying and doing right now. Well, they have the second easiest schedule in the country. That too. Wow. So, that helps. Yeah. It definitely helps. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, Go ahead, Adam. I just – I I feel like um, – and I've said this before on here, but their offense, I know, you know, Jakovic is a known quantity. Zay especially is a known quantity. They're very good with that vertical passing game. Um, but I still want to see a consistent running game, which they didn't have last yeah. year. And it, it really hurt them in some games – where I felt that they got a little bit pushed around and um, and they sort of had trouble late in the season with Virginia Tech when that team just started running the ball on them and they couldn't stop them. Yeah. And if you can't run the ball, that's more likely to happen. So I, I kind of yeah, – I want to see I want to see a running game out of this offense, you know, not against Colgate. <laughs> sure they'll be able to run just fine against – the 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 uh the pirates of the patriot league um but i i but that's what i want to see the most from bc is i want to see them dominate the line of scrimmage on both ends of the field yeah i agree and i think that you bring up a great point with the running game i mean you go back and watch david bailey play two years ago and and he was he was the perfect complement to aj Dillon. it was a thunder lightning deal and then you watch him last year, and you the, the first thing I noticed from a coaching standpoint is he just doesn't fit that scheme. He's more of a downhill man-gap kind of back or a one-cut zone kind of back. Now he's in a system where they're they're playing with wider splits. He has to make more than one cut. That's just not who he is. He's, he's a north-south guy, not an east-west guy. And so I think when you look at the composition of their backfield, and we talked a little bit about this last week, you've got Garwo, Levy, uh, they've got a couple of young kids that they really like. Coleman obviously got Sinkfield, the transfer from West Virginia. There's talent there, but I think they know, Signetti knows, they got to balance things up a little bit and take pressure off of Jakovic and this passing game. Look, you got the quarterback, you got the offensive line, you got the skill pieces on the outside. Obviously, conventional wisdom would say you line up and you get in a gun you get in, and, and you throw the ball a little bit. But I still think that if you could be 60-40 pass to run, it'll make a big difference. I thought that the second easiest schedule in the country thing was really telling. And this is where the BC detractors are going to tell you, well, if they don't win eight games with this schedule, then it's just business as usual up there. And you know what? I typically like to push back on BC detractors, but I kind of agree with them on that. We And I know we touched on this a little bit last week, but with a schedule like this, you got to take care of business. Now, one of the things I like about Halfley, and I noticed it today when he spoke, he's not a guy that he, he's all about living in the moment, and he coaches in the moment. You know, he talked – you would ask him, or I don't know if it was you or, or Rich Thompson that asked him about preparing for Colgate. And he yeah, said – Yeah, they don't have well, Yeah. And he yeah. just basically said, well, let me just say this. 
you're not preparing for Colgate with all due respect to Colgate. Right? I'm not sure. trying to insult the Red Raiders here. Yeah, right. But you're not preparing for Colgate because they're Colgate. Okay. I mean, yeah. if Missouri is your week one opponent, you're getting into the Missouri game plan this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and I'm not I'm not trying to be a jerk here to half. I'm just saying that that's part of his thought process, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is that we need to work out the kinks in these areas before we can get to, to that phase of our preparation. Yeah, um, his, I think if you're playing a better opponent, though, it kind of pushes that timeline up a little bit. Yeah, no, I was just going to say his exact term today uh, for that question that you're talking about, I think it was we just want to get better every day. And yeah. like you said, he is, he is fully locked in on the day-to-day process. Uh, and, again, that, that very well could be coach speak, but, um, it, but by all accounts, players are buying in too. So. Yeah, I don't think it's coach speak. I, I got to tell you, Kevin, when I when I saw his response, I believe him. I, I think yeah. that there are things there that they, as a staff, want to fix this week before they start preparing for Colgate. The only that the point that I'm making from a coaching standpoint is is that when you're playing a quality opponent week one, you're more likely to to put more time into that opponent yeah. than if you're playing someone who you are better than. If you're playing someone who you are noticeably better than, and they're going to be noticeably better than Colgate, mm-hmm. you're going to do your normal week of preparation. And again, it's not a knock on Colgate. That's just the truth. They, and I'm sure the Colgate coaches would tell you that after they were done brushing their teeth. Uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help, but I had to get that one in there. That's terrible. It is. I know. And I, we'll probably never get anybody from Colgate on our any of our live streams, and it'll be my fault because I suck. All right. So... <laughs> So uh, UMass, obviously, we've touched on the Minutemen a little bit. I wrote a piece about this last week about the type of camp that freshman quarterback Brady Olson is having and how he's having a really good camp. And and, and that's, again, based on what you saw when you went up there, Adam, and, and some of the people that I've talked to, they're saying that for a freshman quarterback, they're putting it into perspective, for a freshman quarterback, he's having a nice camp. Uh, Walt Bell has made no bones about it. He, they view him as our guy. We recruited him here. He's one of our biggest local recruits in the three years we've been here. I asked you this last week, and you guys were kind of lukewarm, but based on what's coming out of there now, I mean, is there a legitimate chance he starts? And if you're them, do you start him? I mean, they've got a nice set of receivers here. They've got a good combination of size and skill there. They've got a nice offensive line returning. You've got Alice Merriweather in that running game that could be physical. The pieces are there to protect him. Do you start him or, you know what, it's way too early and you go with a Tyler Lytle or a more experienced quarterback? When I look at Lytle, the guy has missed some time for one reason or the other. And I think – I'll put it this way. Olsen's as close – is way closer to being your guy than I ever would have dreamed a true freshman in that position to be. He, I mean, he um, – he, at the practice I went to, he was in command. You know, he, he's got good size. He moves in the pocket well. And he he doesn't go always for the easy throw. And he's not, like, turning the ball over all the time. That's what you want, you know. So I like him a lot. I think um, it would benefit him to sit a little bit. But I do think if they gave him the shot, he'd be he'd, – he would have won it himself. He wouldn't have been given it somehow. I think he's he's played his way into that conversation, which is a whole lot more than a lot of guys his age are able to do. Mm-hmm. For me, it's as simple as what do they have to lose at this point, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. we've always talked about, 
we need to see tangible differences in the on-field product. Look, if he's been having that good of a camp, see what he's got the first couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Like at this point, <clears throat> what does Walt Bell have to lose? I mean, he can't be criticized any more than he has been by, by that that ferocious UMass fan base. So, <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, I think I think you give him a shot, and uh, it's not just because I'm a fan of the Olsen, uh, the Olsons as coaches. I just think at this point, if you're UMass, see what you got. You know, give it a shot. I think it's going to come down to whether or not they feel they could support him. You know, if they as a staff believe, and, you know, there's been a lot of turnover there. If, if Alex Miller and, and that offensive line and that running game believes that they can support him, that's going to go a long way in that decision-making process. If they think they can play good enough defense to support him, uh, I think that goes into the decision. <clears throat> I still don't see him starting. Uh, I think he's had a nice camp. Like I said, I've talked to people that, that think that he's, he's exceeded expectations. Um, but I think ultimately if you're Walt Bell, you don't bring in a guy like Tyler Lytle and not give him the first shot. He certainly passes the eye test. He's had some injury issues, some consistency issues, but he's a guy that certainly deserves, at least as an upperclassman, he and the other upperclassmen deserve an opportunity to, to at least prove that they could start. It, do I see Brady Olson playing at some point this year? Given the, the situation there, yeah, I do. I, I could very easily see him starting at some point. Uh, I thought it was interesting, of course, that they released their schedule. And, of course, the marquee game, for their home schedule, they released their home schedule in the Times. The marquee game, of course, is September 11th when BC rolls into town. They haven't played at McGuirk since 1982, so it's been a long time. Um, but that's going to be the marquee game. UConn also comes to town. Then they've got Eastern Michigan. They've got Toledo. They've got some other games there, Maine, URI. But overall thoughts on where the program is in terms of public attention because one of the things that i took away from them releasing the times in their home schedule is i, I think that the streaming companies flow tv and somehow nesson's going to pick up that stream and whatnot i guess my point is this how important is it for them to get it going this year because one of the ways that you see the lack of success is the lack of interest and if there aren't media outlets out there that want to pick up your games and and sell them off and have networks pick them up, that doesn't help you. How important is it for them to be competitive this year, both on and off the field? I think it's huge. I think, I mean, for Walt Bell, it's definitely huge. You know, his first his first uh, time at UMass hasn't been good yet, and they just have a long way to go. And I don't know if this necessarily fits, but – Look at what look at what the hockey team has done at UMass. They won a national championship, and it's not like they were a hockey powerhouse before. I'm not saying the football teams didn't win a national championship. They're a long ways from that. But for that, they got to gain relevance somehow. They got they got to pull in their own fans, their yeah. own fans who are not going to the games. They're going as we said. They're going to the tailgates and not going inside to watch the game. Because they don't want to watch that, they want to see a team win, and so I, I, I feel like Bell really has to get it going. In my opinion, obviously it's not saying much. This is the most talent he's had under himself, and so they should be better. But it's got to eventually turn into wins and losses, or else it's it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So selfishly, uh, when they announced the BC time, my first thought was that we should do a college game day thing uh, from there. But that's neither here nor there. Um, 
look, it's we talked about this last year when they were supposed to play uh, Auburn, and we talked about it when BC had you know all the national television games. That you need that recognition at some point. Like you need to start drawing the recruits other ways than just you know the coaching staff going in and recruiting. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be some some national pull there somehow. Uh, and whether that's two wins or one win, you're gonna start somewhere. So uh, I think it's vital for them to to start getting some national pull. And like Adam said, the locals too. I mean, we hear a ton of uh, you know criticism and, um, and and breaking down of UMass. People care, but not enough to to go to the game. So uh, it, it's a huge, huge year for them. Yeah, and and listen, life as a mid major is hard at, at the FBS level. It really yeah. is. It's it's hard because it's a balancing act for the administrations at these schools. Do you invest in your athletic department and your programs and hope that they yield a return? Because it's not a given. It's it's not even a 50-50 proposition that they're going to yield a return. And so, and that's not to say that Ryan Bam for the AD there in that administration hasn't invested in football because they've invested in all their all their sports and they've invested in football. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at that home schedule, they have a nice home schedule. I mean, BC obviously is is the marquee matchup, but the fact that they can't get local outlets to straight up pick up their games is concerning. And so that's where, and it's not putting pressure on Coach Bell or saying that mandating that Coach Bell needs to do this or do that. You don't have to tell Coach Bell that they need to show improvement this year. He knows that. He, when, he, when we interviewed him in the spring, he he's yeah. well aware of what this year means to him and his tenure there and their staff. And so I think that that part of it is abundantly obvious, but I think the lack of success now affects you off the field where you can't get you can't get Nesson to pick up your games straight up. You can't get ESPN to consistently carry your games or, or other regional networks to consistently carry your games. And so they need to figure out a way to be more competitive. They need to be a more appealing product because if they don't figure that out, then it's going to be really hard for them to generate revenue off the field. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you guys know they're not going to generate a ton of revenue on ticket sales. They need to generate revenue off the field. Look, the fan base is there. We've said this all along. I feel like we talk about this every week. They're passionate. They're there. They care. But they need a reason to get behind this program. They're behind it, but they're they're tacitly behind it. They need to get behind it. I think a, a, a competitive season. I mean, this team, despite the upgrade in talent, I still – it's hard to see this team winning more than three games. But – you never know. The schedule sets up for them, particularly at home, where if you can compete with BC, you can you can play with a UConn. UConn's going to be better, but you can play with a UConn. You can certainly play and beat a Maine or a URI. Your talent level's better than theirs. The schedule sets up for them to have a shot. So what it comes down to is they just have to make take the next step as a program. And that's part of, partly why I asked the Brady Olsen question, because if it is a sense of urgency there, it's hard to go with a freshman quarterback if there's a sense of urgency in year three for a coach and his staff in terms of having to win games. Uh, Ivy League training camps kicked off this weekend, of course. Uh, the the preseason Ivy League poll was released last week after the Ivy League media day. Uh, Harvard was fourth on that poll. Princeton was number one. Braun was number six on that poll. Now, we're going to save getting into I'm going to Braun tomorrow morning, so I'm going to get to see the Bears uh, hopefully, Kevin, you can make your way down to Harvard at some point in the next week. Um, I don't want to get into the teams per se, 
What I want to get into here real quick is, is what's the football going to look like in the Ivy League? They haven't played in two years. I mean, how much is that going to impact the quality of the product on the field? I don't know how much. I think it would definitely have some impact, but it's really hard to quantify, given we, we didn't get a chance to see these guys last year. I will say, in general, Ivy League football has gotten a lot better in terms of like the depth of the quality teams. Like I feel like I feel like in the past the Ivy League had one or two teams at the top and then a big gap and then everybody else. And I think lately at least, at least going back to 2019, even the fourth or fifth team in the Ivy League's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I think they recruit well. They all recruit nationally. You know, these aren't just regional recruiting. I mean, there's only one Ivy League. And there's certain kids that want to go to an Ivy League school, and they'll turn down an FBS offer to go to a Harvard or a Yale or something like that. You see it all the time. You see it all the time. So I, I think that I think it's a good football in there. Uh, and I'm not sure how deep it is this year, but lately, Ivy League football, in my opinion, has been very, very much deeper than it has been in the past. Some quality programs in there. Yeah, it seemed like for a period of time that Harvard ruled the rule, ruled the roost there for a while. Uh, but then Buddy Tevens got it going at Dartmouth. I think James Perry's going to get it going at Brown. Yes. But when you look at the the, the preseason poll, you got Princeton at one, uh, you've got Yale at two, Dartmouth at three, Harvard at four. So you've got your three major Ivy League pro, three of your four major Ivy League programs are in New England, and they're in the top four. So. You know, I think it speaks to the level of recruiting there. Obviously, you look at Harvard. Harvard has been a program that not only has enjoyed a ton of success under Tim Murphy, but they've also had a lot of players get drafted. I mean, now they're being called tight end U because you got Cameron Bright, uh, Paul Furkster, you got Kyle Juszczyk. you got all these guys that are playing in the NFL there. Um, so I, yeah, I'm curious to see what it looks like. I mean, listen, from a coaching standpoint, it's not going to be easy to get these guys going necessarily after two years. There's going to be some – I don't want to say growing pains because that's a stretch, but there's going to be some ugly moments, we'll say, in camp until guys get their legs under them and get back into football shape. Yeah, no, so Adam said it, you know, pretty perfectly. I don't know how we quantify it just because we didn't see, you know, what anything looked like last year. But I feel like just based on, you know, the Ivy League image alone – I feel like most of those programs are probably going to be more suited to hit the ground running um, just because of the structure and stuff like that. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong just from a coaching perspective, but it feels like that structure might uh, might help that league in particular kind of yeah. be able to, to hit the ground running. No, I think you're right. I think you make a great point. I think, that, you know, when you look at the type of student athlete that you recruit there, that they, you have to be disciplined academically, athletically. I think that certainly helps. They have had a lot since last fall. They have had time with them. They had spring ball. They had workouts last fall. They have had time around the players. So it's not like they just showed up this weekend and like, hey, you're still here? Yeah, I haven't graduated yet. Yeah, I'm doing a fifth year. You know, it's not like they haven't been around their guys. They have been. But I do think you might see early on, you might see the quality of play not be as great as a result of that. And again, as I mentioned, I am going to be going to Brown tomorrow morning to check out EJ Perry and company. That Brown offense is going to be potent. I mean, Pe Perry is poised to put up some big numbers. And of course he was on the senior bowl watch list as well. He's one of the quarterbacks 
uh, in this region that was on the Senior Bowl watch list as well. So he's a guy that the BC transfer, former Andover quarterback, that uh, big things are expected of him playing in his uncle's spread offense. Now, let's transition to high school. And, again, you're listening to the New England Football Show. I'm John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchgen. Uh, let's talk some high school football. Obviously, high school football training camps kicked off this weekend. Um, I went to Catholic Memorial on Friday, Zavarian on Saturday. Adam, you were at BR on Friday. Kevin, you you went to Natick. You went to Lexington. You went to Ashland. You've been everywhere, man. Um, <laughs> but let, let's, let's talk a little bit about the season kicking off. Obviously, no pads, just helmets. I've talked to a bunch of coaches that continue to tell me the same thing they tell me every year. Man, this sucks. Man. But yeah, I know. We all universally agree. The first three days do suck until you start getting the pads on and you can better evaluate your talent. But some quick observations in terms of what you guys saw. So the, the two biggest things for me, one is literally every single person that I talked to between Friday and Saturday, at least one or two of them out of the group said it felt like Christmas morning. Uh, so it, was, it just, it clearly meant a ton to a lot of people to be back out there. Uh, and, and a lot of coaches, you know, at the time, we didn't know what the fall two season was going to bring a lot of coaches are now very happy that it happened because uh, it's allowed them to hit the ground running. Uh, I talked to Andrew McKay from Ashland and, and he straight up said, you know, look, guys are retaining more information um, just because they had a legitimate season that would have otherwise just been camps or, or passing leagues. So uh, I think the, the overall football, you know, we just talked about the, the Ivy league, um, how that's going to look. I think the early part of this season is going to actually be really good compared to some other years. I think um, another thing, uh, I've heard some of that uh, in terms of hitting the ground running. One thing I hear a lot, and I sort of ask about it just to see what kids are thinking, but I think people are really excited to play for a state championship. And now, you know, not everybody's going to get to do that. Some teams will be left out. But it just, I think the excitement level over any postseason – let alone a statewide championship, um, it's it's the kids seem really excited about that. You know, obviously fall two, there was no. I mean, kids played for league titles and stuff like that, which is fine. You know, given the circumstances, probably the best they could have done. But you know, the fact that they have a real postseason to play for now, um, that really you can't really put anything on that ex- excitement wise. It's it's huge. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's part of it. And I'm glad you brought that up, Adam, because I I actually had an interesting conversation about that with John DiBiazzo when I I went up to see Catholic Memorial on Friday evening, which, by the way, first thing that jumped out at me with them is their speed. They they can run. And and I think that that's going to be the problem for a lot of teams that play them. It's just how do you stop those backs? How do you stop a a Jaden Skeet? Uh, you know, J.C. Petrogello looked good at quarterback. He's put on some weight. He looked thicker. He threw the ball well. Um, I was very impressed with them and their athleticism. And I think they're going to be a lot better up front than people think. I know that that's kind of been the knock on CM the last couple of years, especially when they lost those Super Bowls to the prep. I think a lot of people thought, well, the prep wore them down, and rightfully so. And, and you know, Brian St. Pierre is, is a balanced offensive guy. He's not going to be afraid to line up and two back and pound you. Um but I was very impressed with what I saw. It was also Dibs' birthday. He turned 65 on Friday. And uh, I told him after practice, I said, you know, he, see, he sees me, he says, you know, you look much younger in person. 
And I said, well, first of all, we've met plenty of times. Second of all, thank you. And third of all, you're pretty spry for your age. And he's 65. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the statewide playoff, Adam, because he and I talked about that. And he he's not, you know, anybody out there that has covered John that knows John, John doesn't mince words. And, uh, you know, John knows, he, he knows that the noise is out there about them being D2. And like he said to me, he said, listen, there's no guarantees that we're going to get to Gillette out of D2. We know what we're up against with Mansfield and KP and, and BR and and Natick and Wellesley and, you know, LS, Redding. I mean, he knows it's potentially could be a harder path to get there. Um, but he also made a great point. He said, you know, we went to 17 Super Bowls when I was in Everett, and we weren't Division One all the time. There were one time we were 1A, one time we were 2. So his point was that they haven't always played D1. Um, and, and he reiterated that the administration at CM – felt that that was the best move for the kids. And he said, how many teams actually chose to opt up? Not many. We were one of the few that did. So uh, he made that point. I also went to Zavarian on Saturday. They are big. Jack Funk, obviously, headlining that group up front. He's the BC commit. He's a big boy. They got some good size. Coach Fennaro seems to be excited about, uh, you know, what he has back. Joe Kelkhorst at running back. Uh, Carlo Crosetti at receiver. They got to figure it out at quarterback. But Zavarian should be in the mix, as they are every year. Um, but, yeah, and even just talking to coaches over the weekend, I mean, I think there's a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement about having a regular fall season. There's also some trepidation with the Delta variant and potentially wearing masks and whatnot. But the, the theme was positivity. A lot of coaches are excited to just have a regular season again. That's just something that um, – I kept hearing over and over again that it just feels normal. And I'm sure you guys heard the same thing. Adam, I did want to ask you just your overall impressions on uh, BR and first-year coach Lou Pacheco. It was hard to tell with BR because it was the first day and nobody was in pads. They had, uh, you know, uh, there was, it was a lot of, like, conditioning work and uh, just going through basic stuff. They had decent numbers. Um, you know, sort of around what they usually get for, for this time of year. Um, I think they'll be good. I have them in our top 25. Um, I think they've got a lot of good young talent that I want to see, you know, step up to the varsity level. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be able to throw the ball pretty well. I know we don't always talk about that when we're talking about BR. <laughs> you know, we sometimes talk about, you know, just uh, everything else. But, um, uh, yeah, wait, what was the second part of that question? Just your thoughts on Lou Pacheco taking oh, over there. Oh, he's he seems like Mr. BR, man. You know how some people are the right fit? Lou is the right fit for that school, man. Um, he He's an alumnus. He's coached as an assistant there. He's coached youth football in Raynham. Uh, he's coached at Taunton and Cole Cassidy's. Um, you know, he, he seemed giddy. You know, that first day, it was almost like Christmas morning, not to use the same expression, but it kind of was like that. And you, you just you, you got the sense, and I wrote about wrote about this for the Herald. This is a dream job, you know. It does is, and it's no two ways about it. Um, I think he'll be a good fit there. The guy loves the school, loves coaching the kids, and it was fun to watch him work. He's he's upbeat. He's got a really good personality, and uh, I'm excited to see what he does there for sure. Yeah, I wrote about that too. I've known Lou for a long time. I actually coached against Lou. In the EFL world, when I was a D coordinator of the Quincy Granite, he played for the Middleborough oh, nice. Cobras. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm showing my age and his. 
Um, Lou's actually older than me, so it should have been the other way around. He should have been coaching against me as a player. But, you know, I, I wasn't a great player and Lou was. So there you go. That's why he was still playing. Um, but, yeah, I, I wrote about this when he first got the job. And he and I had a great conversation. And we talked. And I, you know, talked for a while. And, yeah, everything you said is spot on. He's got a, he's got a tremendous passion for the district. He's the SRO at the school played there. He's a, he's a random guy, BR guy through and through. And I think he's going to do a tremendous job there. And, and, and I think that it's going to take some time. I mean, when you step in and replace a legend like Dan Buron, it's not going to happen overnight, but if, uh, if, if Lou is given the time to get that program to where it normally is, and then, you, you know, BR, they don't shy away from anybody. They'll play people. That program will be in the mix in D2 once again. I do want to touch on one last thing before we go here. And we kind of talked about it pre-show and that is kids transferring and and we've seen it in the past week you know it used to be that the only time a kid ever transferred from a public school to a catholic school or even a private school was in the off season but you're starting you're seeing a lot of movement already we haven't even put pads on and kids are leaving schools just some thoughts on that because it, it's something that high school coaches that i've talked to are very weary of that they're aware that it's happening and 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 it's and it's magnetized even more by the fact that numbers are down. A lot of coaches that I've also talked to have said to me, "Look, our numbers weren't what aren't what they were two, three, four, five years ago." So, just some overall thoughts on kids just packing up and leaving before the season even starts. I think it's more. I think it. I think it's been this way for a few years now. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, there's a lot of recruiting going on, and and these some of these coaches. We're getting the kids don't want to use that word recruiting, but that's exactly what they're doing. So it's, I guess it's fine. I just think I wrote about this a couple of years ago for, for mass varsity. And the, the big thing was it, it affects anybody. If, if, so if somebody loses a good player to another team, it, it affects anybody. But if you're talking about a smaller school, if you're talking about a roster, with 40 or fewer kids and you lose your best player every year to one of these other schools, there's no way that's not going to have an effect. It just, it, there's just no way to get around it. And, you know, some of these kids are so good. Like he's not just your best running back. He's also your best linebacker. He's your best guy on kickoff. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're losing essentially three or four players, not just one. Um, so, you know, look, anybody can go wherever they want. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to badmouth a kid's decision or anything like that. But people have to face the reality of what happens to certain programs when they lose kids like that. Yeah, for me, I think it's more about why is it happening. Uh, and there's two things that come to my mind. First, just a lack of town pride. And I think that comes, you know, from a lack of youth um, sports involvement in, in different towns especially football. You know, you always hear towns that are, are afraid to let kids play now, and I think ultimately it ends up hurting them in the long run because kids don't want to play for their town. Uh, and the other thing, too, and it might be a reach. Feel free to tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, you do anyways. But if you look at how professional athletes kind of handle things nowadays, they're always jumping ship. So if you're a, you know, a middle school kid or a high school kid and you don't like how something's going and you know you can transfer – well, then I'm getting the hell out of there. My favorite athlete just did it. You know, why can't I? So uh, I, I think those two 
those two factors are, are huge and a lot of people don't talk about them enough. Yeah, I think I think they're valid. I definitely think they're valid. You know, and I think if I were to add to that, I would say parents. I, I think that that this mentality that that I have to raise a scholarship athlete, whether it be a boy or a girl, is a big part of it because you're not just seeing it in football. You're seeing it in basketball, baseball, hockey, and you're seeing it with boys and girls. And so I think that this is now gone. It used to be that, especially in those other sports, AAU was kind of the issue. Yeah. Well, AAU is still an issue in those sports, but in football it's not anymore. It's the private schools schools that are not in the MIA that you can just up and leave tomorrow and you could be practicing for them that day. If you got once you get there, you get your equipment, you're on the field. So, you know, the reason why you're seeing more and more kids jump ship and go to these ISL schools and these other private schools is, is that there's a belief that if I reclassify, it'll give me an advantage. I might have one or two offers now. And Adam, you had mentioned this off the air earlier. I might have one or two offers now. This coach is telling me that I could have six to ten offers a year from now. All I have to do is reclassify and develop physically. He'll get in touch with the coaches. He has contacts. Once the kid hears that, once the parents hear that, that's it. There's nothing you can do as a public school coach that's going to keep that kid there. There's nothing you can say. You're going to lose him. And I think if I'm a public high school coach right now, and you know you have that type of kid coming up in your system – you got to do everything you can to build a relationship with that young man. You got to build a relationship with those parents. You got to get to know them and you've got to impress upon them at a young age that I'm going to do everything I can to position your child to succeed and get to where they want to go. And if that means a scholarship, then I'm going to do whatever I can to help them get that. I think parents need to hear that because if they don't hear it, if coaches just assume, well, they're going to come here because they played in our Pop Warner system and the parent, the father played here. There's some kind of a connection of the program. Those days are over now. It doesn't mean anything anymore. What matters now is what are you going to do for my kid? That's all that matters. I mean, you're seeing kids going into their senior year bolting. It's no longer, you know, they're going to CM middle school or Zavarian middle school. No, they're leaving junior, senior year and reclassifying. I mean, I had a friend of mine who they lost a kid last week. And he says to me, well, can he wait until after high school to, to, to do a PG year? I said, he doesn't have to anymore, especially if they're willing to pay for a portion of it or a good portion of it. He's not going to wait. He's going to take the money and he's going to go there. And there's nothing you can do to combat that as a, as a public high school coach. You're just going to have to take the L and move on without the kid. And, and that's where part of it is because you're still going to have a substantial amount of kids that are going to be in your program. That's where I think beefing up the numbers is important and, and, and getting more kids out playing because if you do lose a kid that's, a, that's one of your better players or your best player, at least if you have good numbers, you can develop other kids that maybe could, could soften the blow a little bit. You don't ever replace a great player, but I, I think it's an issue. I, you know, I've talked to other people in the media as well about this, you know, people that I used to work with, and they all tend to agree with me that, hey, listen – there's not much a public school coach can do. The only thing they can do is get out ahead of it and try to prevent it from happening. But honestly, again, I'm not sure you can. No matter what you do, I'm not sure you can stop it from happening. Right. I think the the extra year thing is such a good point. I think that's the number one selling point by some of these other schools is to say, hey, repeat this year. You get an extra year. Maybe you double your offers, whatever. Um 
You know, it's tough. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah. Like, as you said, is there anything at public school? I don't know. You know, I, I, I think right now this is just the way things work and uh, or it, it's how it's being done uh, right now. And, you know, it's it really hurts these smaller schools. You know, there's not a lot of the, – the list of teams that don't get hurt by something like this is very small. All right. Mm -hmm. The more, the more often than not, that that kid is a two-way player, a standout two-way player, if not three-way when you're talking to uh, kickoffs and and field goals and stuff like that. So, it's really tough. But you know, I, 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 you know, I think that what, like you say, you have to get involved with the kid and the parent, and you know, show them the, the value of staying at the school that you're at. But sometimes you can do everything you want, and it won't matter. No, um, and the other issue here is the NIL issue as well, that no. no one's really talking about it. They kind of see it as a down-the-road issue. But let's say you you do have a kid as a public school coach that is highly recruited, that has multiple offers. That kid could come into your office in July of his senior year and say, hey, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm graduating early. I'm heading to campus in January, I've already talked to a couple of companies that are willing to to use my likeness. I, I can make fifty grand use doing this. That I'm telling you, you're not going to see a lot of that up here, but I think you're going to see it in Texas. I think you're going to see it in Florida, Ohio, New Jersey. The the bigger football states that produce more Division One talent, they're going to start running into this issue. Kid, kid, the the number one recruit in the class of 2022 just did it at Texas. He just he just walked out. Before senior season, Quinn Ewers, he's going to, he's already at Ohio State. So uh, I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be easy to be a high school football coach in any state because I think between transfers and the NIL and all this other crap, I'm just thankful that I'm sitting here with you two every Monday night doing this because if I were still a head coach, I, I, I'd be losing my mind right now. Let's put it this way. I'm 46. My hair wouldn't be this dark. All right. Anything else uh, before we uh, put a bow on this bad boy? I'm good. No, man. It's good to have football back in, in a normal capacity. It is. It is. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the New England Football Show. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me at UFTBJ. I run the primary site, uh, the, the primary Twitter handle, I should say, for the site. You can find Kevin at KStone06. And you can find Adam at Adam Kirchin. Did I get that right, Adam? Yeah, that's, yeah, Kirchin. You got it. All right. Perfect. I just didn't want to screw it up. So, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode until, um, let's see. Sunday. Sunday the Patriots are playing. So, we're going to see you again on Sunday. Our Thursday stuff doesn't start up until the season starts. So, Sunday we'll have a Patriots postgame show. And until next Monday, I'm John Serenitas. He's Kevin Stone. He's Adam Kirchin. Until then, peace to Greece. See ya. See ya.